0: to tell their stories about what they've learned along the way and share some of their wisdom with us. I'm so thrilled you can join us. Hey there my wise friends and welcome to another episode of Collective Wisdom which this week is with my friend the television and film producer Kirsty Stark. As you're about to hear, Kirstie has a whole string of award-winning productions to her name, including Stateless, which deals with the plight of millions of refugees around the world who find themselves incarcerated in detention centres, and First Day, the tender and heartfelt drama which charts the journey of Hannah, a transgender girl, as she begins at a brand new high school in her new identity as her authentic self. Kirstie's work bridges the gap between fictional stories and real life, often featuring first-time actors in roles that reflect their actual experience, which allows them to find their voice and advocate for their community. Ultimately, these are all dramas that get to the heart of what it means to be human. They're all about treating people with the kindness and dignity that you would want to be treated with yourself. And as is so often the way, dramas like these can become a pathway to positive change. First Day is now being used in schools in Australia as a way to start conversations and address prejudices before they become deeply ingrained. At the heart, it's all about inclusion and belonging. And if you can't be your authentic self in the first place, then it's almost impossible to feel as if you belong. At the moment, it's very difficult to see First Day in the UK, as having secured the rights, the BBC have made the decision not to air the show on iPlayer. If you feel that this is a flawed decision and you'd like to see it, then I would really encourage you to forward this episode to the Director General and ask about when they're planning to make it available to us here. In the meantime, there are links in the show notes to the pay-per-view site where you can find both Stateless and First Day. I can promise you they are dramas that are well worth your time and you won't be disappointed. It was a real privilege to get to talk to Kirsty about why she does what she does and the huge numbers of writers, directors, cast and crew that go into making it all happen. My guest today is nothing short of a superstar. Kirsty Stark is a television producer based in Adelaide, Australia, and owner of the award-winning independent production company, Epic Films. Kirsty and I first met as coaches in Seth Godin's Alt-MBA programme, and right from the outset, her incredible work ethic and her compassion for people made her stand out from the crowd. She started her career back in 2007 as a cinematographer, but was later drawn into the production side of film and television, which is where her strengths really lie. The header on her website says, I work with awesome people on projects that matter, which as well as being very true, how cool is that as a compass? And as for those projects, well, let me tell you, they really do matter. Stories that tackle some of the world's grittiest problems and help change perspectives, open dialogue, and reframe the issues in a tangible way. Projects like First Day, which was written and directed by Julie Kalseff, and stars the outstanding Evie Macdonald, who plays Hannah, a 12-year-old transgender girl, as she starts at high school. Or Stateless, which has an all-star cast, including co-producer Kate Blanchett, and deals with the stories behind the 70 million people currently displaced or stateless, who so often find themselves detained for years as victims of the deeply flawed immigration systems around the world. And the one I've yet to see, but can't wait to dive into, Goober, which is the lighthearted story of Harry, an Uber driver with autism, who sometimes confuses his passengers, but makes his dad extremely proud. What seems to be the golden thread for Kirsty when she chooses her projects are themes of identity and belonging. Her work is helping to use storytelling at its best to build empathy and break down prejudice. For her, it's always about the people and what it means to be human. So Kirsty, a warm, warm welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining me, but also thank you for the work you're doing. It's so life-changing. Oh, thank you. It's so lovely to have it reflected back to me like that. I don't often think about myself in that way. (laughs) Well, that's something I love to do, is just hold up a mirror to people who are doing a great job and, yeah, changing narratives, busting prejudices, helping people be confronted by their own prejudices, because we all have them. And I think that's something that's especially true for First Day, which I've just watched with my 16-year-old daughter, who is Mm -hmm. part of the LGBT plus community. And, oh my God, it is so, so compelling. And I think it would be hard for anyone to watch it and not be touched by the, the real challenges that are faced by especially transgender children but but everyone in that that community who can often feel ostracized in their own school communities so Mm, absolutely let's just um I don't know I'd love to hear a little bit more about how it was received in Australia and and how how that's made you feel Yeah, we're just so
1: thrilled by the response that it's had in Australia. And to Julie and myself, it's really been about the individual responses and the people that have written to us saying that the show has enabled them to open up conversations with their families or their friends or to see allyship modelled, you know, for children that they know personally. So There was some concern that it might be too political or people were wondering what the content might be like, given it's a transgender child. But all we wanted to do was show that Hannah is just like any other kid. Um, And so Julie's writing really led into that. And she specifically set the show on the first day of high school so that Hannah's journey was alongside every other child going through a transition in their own lives. And you could see how she related to them and how normal she is. Um, and she does face some additional challenges absolutely but we just wanted to give people the opportunity to walk in her shoes
0: and I think that's what you did so so well I think I'm right in saying that Evie McDonald herself is a, is a, a transgender girl. Is is that? Is that she sick? is. She is phenomenal. We met her
1: as a twelve year old, and wow, yeah, it was going to be a real challenge from the start to cast this film because it was a key priority for both Julie and myself, and for the ABC, our Australian broadcaster, to cast a transgender girl in the lead role, so yeah. that she could come from a really authentic place in her performance. Um, And we didn't know if that person existed. Not that we doubted that there were girls out there who could act, but to also be willing to publicly put themselves on a stage and represent and advocate for their community at that young age was going to be something that was always a real challenge. So it was a really delicate casting process from that perspective. And we're just thrilled that we met Evie and have got to see her grow up on screen.
0: Yeah, and I think I think it adds that level of authenticity. There is a real knowing, you know, I guess when you're not really acting, these are these are things that you've faced. You know, some of the things that come up are the the, the uniform that you have to wear, the the old identity. So coming from from primary school when you were known as a boy, some of the the slights and the slurs and and just that feeling of of being alone. Even, even, you know, there's a, there's a teacher who's very um, sympathetic to, to Hannah's situation, but, you know, the, the role of the headmaster was to try and placate all the parents and you couldn't just be, okay, well, we'll change the uniform policy, you know, it was, it's a very delicate situation, which toilets mm. to use, all of that stuff was just so well handled And I think the thing that was most touching for me was there was a moment where Hannah has started a a pride group and in the school, and there's a circle of kids, and it took a long time for people to be able to sort of be brave enough to to find themselves, find other people in the same situation. And they just said how refreshing it was to be able to talk about these things with somebody who understood, Mm -hmm. you know, because I think... So often this has to be dealt with alone and often your parents aren't even part of the conversation. So how isolating, I think that is the real power of, of, of what came across in the way this story was handled, was just showing how 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 much of a difference it makes when there's just somebody else that you can talk to and relate to. So you feel a little bit less alone. And I imagine that in Australia now, the idea of being able to see um, transgender children on national TV must be so refreshing for the people who are affected by these issues.
1: Mm, absolutely. Uh, at the time we started First Day, which has been in multiple iterations over five years now. Um, Evie was the first transgender actor to play a lead role on Australian television of any age. Nice. So that was groundbreaking in itself. But since then there's been other actors cast in shows and um, neighbours has Georgie Stone playing a trans character as a trans actor herself. So yeah, it's fantastic to see that representation broadening and to see you know diversity in all its forms represented more and more on screen
0: absolutely and I think it takes such courage to be that first person to be the trailblazer and that also is is the role that Hannah is playing within the high school the 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 fictitious high school that is in the story that that sort of courage again I don't I don't think she's acting I think it's just there you know what it what it means. yeah
1: and it's amazing because Evie and Hannah are very different to each other so really? Evie is much more confident and so she's definitely acting in that sense but I think a lot of the emotion is drawn from a really authentic place and a lot of the scenarios are very relatable to what she's experienced personally or what she's seen friends go through.
0: Yeah. And I just wanted to touch a little bit on what it must have felt like to be part of that cast, you know, because obviously you've got a whole high school full and, and I read that um, not all of the kids had ever, you know, they weren't all professional actors, they hadn't come from drama schools and things. Uh, Some of them were just in the right place at the right time, perhaps, and got to, it felt like a fun environment to make, to make the film. It really was, and especially going through two seasons, a
1: lot of our cast who were in both seasons have become really firm friends and, you know, we've seen them change over time. So Jake Childs, for example, who plays Josh, who is originally known as Sarah in the first season, um, wanted to play that character, you know, because he knew how important it would have been for him to see someone like himself on TV. He'd never acted before and, you know, since then he started acting classes and season two to see his performance really blossom and grow into the nuances of that character was phenomenal.
0: Yeah. Um, Cause his is one of the most heartbreaking, you know, he doesn't come to school because he just feels and his own parents don't really understand. He ends up living with his grandmother, you know, very real stories, very real situations. But so you just want to wrap people up and, and give them a big hug, you know, um, but yeah, I think it's, it's, I mean, Hannah was also asking me if there's going to be a season three. Because no, there's not, unfortunately. Watching watching the kids, because they do grow with you, even in the, the two short seasons that you've done already. She was just absolutely riveted by it. And, and, you know, she said, oh, when you speak to Kirsty, can you ask if there's going to be a season three? <laughs> <laughs>
1: no, I wish there was. There's a few reasons behind it. One is that, It's aimed at children, so to go any further would be taking it out of a territory that's suitable for the classification. Which makes Um, sense. But also Evie is older now and she's at a point where she can start representing herself more and telling her own stories. And we felt that as cisgendered female filmmakers, you know, it's not our story to tell. And we spent a lot of time and Julie especially really carried the story through her consultation with the trans community lgbt organizations you know getting feedback on the scripts but the landscape has shifted and we realized more and more as we continue to tell the story that it's really not our place and we want to put that power back in the hands of the trans community for telling stories that relate to older trans people so,
0: yeah yeah no and that makes perfect sense that it is that it is that moment it's I, I love the way you say it's about going from primary to secondary school in, in, as we have in the UK is a transition for everybody, but it's even more of a, a transition if you're if you're um, transgender. and I think it's it's um, it's one of those stories that I know I learned a lot, even just watching it, having been aware, from, from my own daughter's conversations, I, I don't think there's a single person who wouldn't watch it and learn something that they perhaps hadn't picked up on, whether it's around bullying, whether it's around isolation, whether it's around the complexities of the issues for families, you know, um, which toilets the children use and all of that stuff that you have so, you know, been that attention to detail has been encapsulated in, in mm-hmm. the storytelling itself. So I think for me, it's, it's the only other question I had was whether there's been any backlash, whether, you know, because in the credits, there's a a list of um, all the people who were part of the, the crew and, and safeguarding was obviously a really important integral issue, but have you had any backlash within, within the communities?
1: We haven't, no. The only negative press or publicity that we've seen has come from people who haven't seen the show, who are mm. hypothesising about what it is or what it might be. Yeah. Um, but everyone who's seen it has, you know, even conservative newspapers in Australia have given it really positive views, reviews. So, yeah, yeah, I think it's the kind of show that just really gets to the heart of what it is to be human on every Absolutely. level. So that's what it means. It's about being kind and accepting and treating people the way you'd want to be treated. And that's all it is at the end of the day.
0: Yeah. And that's so well modeled as well. I mean, it is a, it's a story that's full of optimism and hope. And I think that's now playing out in the, in the real world, which is why it's so magical. And that
1: was a challenge as well, to find that balance because we didn't want to just dismiss all of the challenges That trans kids go through so there is some really heavy material in there Mm. and some of it we pushed further than you know we thought may be appropriate and it was hard to balance those conversations but I think the scene um at the end of episode three of season two if anyone watches it where Hannah's bullied in the hallway um it was Evie herself who really pushed us to take it that far because she wanted it to reflect what she's experienced in real life and not gloss over any issues so
0: Yeah. And I think it's so that the the most um, telling part about that scene is how wounding words are that often, Mm. you know, we have this, this old adage sticks and stones, but it's the words that land that really make it impossible to live your life, to be yourself Mm. and, and how, how damaging and long lasting those words, especially if they're constant, you know, you're facing them on a daily basis. Mm. Yeah, so so tenderly done, and which is why I think it is. I mean, I I know my my daughter said, "God, I wish this could be compulsory viewing for you know part of a a curriculum for all schools because it would help open up those conversations about bullying generally, but in in particular around LGBTQ and transgender Mm. issues uh, specifically." Yeah.
1: And that's something that is happening in Australia. We've um, had the Australian Children's Television Foundation, who's our release partner, um, they've actually created teaching toolkits for both seasons that are mapped to the Australian curriculum so that teachers can use it in the classroom and discuss it with their students and wow. you know approach activities in a way that they have access to, even if they're not fully across the subject matter themselves.
0: Yeah, and and, and just allowing those conversations to happen in a safe space. I think that's that's so empowering. So empowering. And that's
1: a big part of those toolkits as well, is setting up a safe space, not knowing who might be in your classroom or whether there's someone who's not comfortable publicly sharing their identity as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, it's just phenomenal. And I think, as I said at the beginning, it's the power of storytelling to really help bring this into a space where As you said the backlash has come from people who haven't seen it it's very Mm -hmm. difficult to watch it and not not have a response not have some sort of way of saying oh i i I actually identify with somebody who perhaps through ignorance you know i'm making big mistakes here but they're they're highlighted as to how that that impacts the people involved how that lands Mm. with them on a on a daily basis no, just phenomenal. So I yeah, I highly recommend to anyone listening if you can get hold of First Day. It's not always possible. I know in Australia it's easy access. It's on ABC, which is your national TV network, but it's um it's not. It's not yet got full distribution rights across the world, unfortunately.
1: No, it has gone to over 17 countries, which we're incredibly proud of. Um, But then the rights within those countries are difficult. So BBC currently owns the UK rights, but it's not on iPlayer at the moment. So it's up to them when it comes back and when it's placed, which is just one of the realities of letting go of a project. You send it out into the world and you don't have that control over it anymore
0: no you don't and i but i think i think the more people who hear about these programs knowing that they're available you can actually write to the bbc and say hey do we get to see it you know when do we get to see it how can we get to see it which is mm. is very valid which is you know part yeah. of the reason for having this conversation and um, we'd love that
1: i mean the goal at the end of the day is for as many kids and adults to be able to see it as possible and start those conversations and hopefully make a difference in the world oh and it will
0: it will transform as you say you know it's impacting those lives and i'm seeing more and more children who are affected by these issues more and more transgender children who perhaps have lived in isolation um i think the numbers are on the increase because it is becoming easier at least to to start the conversations to say oh this is me as well you know this me too Mm -hmm. is 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 definitely a common factor when When conversations like this are opened up, it's just so powerful. So, and then moving on to Stateless, which was released a couple of years ago now. And I remember I met you um, because a lot of the Alt-MBA coaches, we never get to meet in person because we're all around the world. world. But I I had the privilege of it happened to be that you were en route to the Berlin Film Festival, which was where Stateless was being nominated for... A prize, and I think they went on to. It was the it. world premiere of the
1: series, so yeah, yeah, the first time we showed it to anyone publicly, which was amazing. It
0: was, and I remember seeing the photographs, and it was like a night at the Oscars with all the red carpet and everybody in their full garb. And I mean, that is a pretty star cast. You know, th- th- there were mm. Kate Blanchett, Dominic West, Faisal Bazi, Asher um How how did it feel to be were you star, starstruck? Um, to some degree, yes. And then on another level, they're just human beings like
1: everyone else.
0: <laughs> but and, and then that was my other question. So from a production side, how much do you get involved on a daily basis with the the filming? Are you on set all the time or how, how much mm. do you actually meet the, the actors on set?
1: Yeah, so I was a co-producer on this project working under Sheila Jayadev and Paul Ranford, who were the producers. So we all kind of took on roles that appealed to our individual strengths. Um, So I was lucky enough to primarily get to work on putting out fires or making things happen, which was really exciting. And part of the making things happen was being involved with all of our smaller roles and background cast and a lot of them were cast authentically having come from refugee backgrounds themselves or some of them had even lived in detention centers on arrival to australia or had family members who had done so so bridging that gap between real life and set was amazing Um, especially um there's a couple of tamil guys who sit on the roof in the series yeah. um, protesting at the detention center. And the first time I took them on a tour of the set we had built, one of them asked me, is this place still operational? Because he had been in detention and it was so close to home that he couldn't tell the difference between a real facility and the one we had built. Wow! So that was amazing. But yeah, those opportunities. Um, So I was back and forth a lot between the office and set bridging the two, which is how I like to work as a producer. I like to be part of the action. And to me, it's not just about the entertainment value of what we're creating. It's not just about the impact that that show will hopefully have in the world afterwards, but it's about the day-to-day and what everyone's experience is like in the making of that series, because you have as much influence on that as you do with the end product. So that's always been a big part of my approach to storytelling. And we had a phenomenal experience actually on Stateless where um, one of the Iranian men who was acting with us, um, he had been in Baxter Detention Centre, which was the closest location to where we were filming our fictional detention centre, and had left and gone out into the community and started his own cafe that employed, you know, dozens of Australians over the years and won local community awards so we had a day where he created his own Persian menu and fed it to our entire cast and crew in conjunction with our caterer for lunch and you know he got up during the lunch and spoke about how we were bringing his experiences to life and called out individual actors for how they reminded him of specific people that he'd met along his journey and you know just had a hand on his heart and tears in his eyes and i don't think the crew had ever experienced that kind of connection to any project that they'd worked on so yeah. being part of experiences like that is you know you get insight into worlds that you would never would otherwise and you get to experience on a real one-to-one human level what other people have gone through but well, it's just different life-changing narratives to your own
0: yeah it really is just um that real storytelling in real life and 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 ironically um i think stateless is based on a true story you know of how people became aware of the conditions in these um immigration centers detention centers because there was a real life australian girl who she had escaped from a cult and and then ended up being detained Mm-hmm. and it's it's kind of where fiction and true life you just think it, it, it's almost too unbelievable to be true absolutely it's
1: based on yeah it really is but no the privilege was getting to take that story and see how our writers and showrunner Elise McCready um turned it into a story that she was no longer the focus it became about four different perspectives of a system and how individuals get caught up in that system yeah and often act outside their own interests and their own values simply by the circumstances that they're put in so there's really tough decisions and tough moments for all of the characters along the way and I think yeah the story that they ended up constructing was really compelling and really beautiful
0: and I think it is that 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 sense of you take you take that grain of truth that grain of reality and then you really dig down into the essence of it which is Mm. as you've just said is it's about following one family and and or one person's dilemmas and all the things they face along the way and it's that that draws us in and it's that that actually builds those sort of bridges of of empathy for what's really going on behind mm. all the statistics, behind all the the faceless people who climb into boats and lose their children, or or, or in some cases spend many many years detained. Um, mm. They lose all of their rights. They have no passports. They 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 kind of again coming back to this losing their identity. They they're not really people, and they're certainly not treated like people. It's it's so powerful. What was the um, move? I'm really intrigued for you going from cinematography I mean what brought you into going to film school in the first place because you clearly you have it almost in your blood this whole idea of holding up a camera and telling stories
1: yeah it's fascinating because I can't remember the moment that I decided to go into filmmaking or even this industry um I've always been a story lover, but it was always in the form of books as a child. I used to consume 10 or 15 books a week at some points in my life and just be caught up in that narrative fiction world, but on the level of relating to the characters. So I think that's where it stemmed from. And it's interesting, I was pointed out or identified as a producer in my first couple of weeks of film school by my lecturer. But at film school, producing is just filling out everyone's paperwork so they can go have all the fun. So I did one project and said, I'm never doing this again, and went into camera because it felt like that was where the action was. And I'd always loved taking still photographs and, you know, representing story through image. So I was, yeah ended up in camera department, camera assisted on a lot of feature films and got to experience set life through that. Um, And came back to producing really by mistake in that another cinematographer friend and I wanted to shoot on 16mm film. At the time, everything was transitioning to digital and we couldn't find a producer who would let us. So we threw in some of our own money, um, pretended to all of our film colleagues and friends that we had private investment and got them to submit their scripts to us and then chose our favourite two scripts to film. And we filmed one each on 16mm wow so the that beginning was of epic films that was the beginning of epic films oh, um and we had another producer on those films who was working full-time so I ended up taking on some of the producing aspects of the role just to see it through because we'd started a company for the sole purpose of being able to open a bank account because we didn't have any kind of relationship to each other that was you know official
0: yeah yeah um,
1: and that was where epic films kind of stemmed from and The first project I produced was a couple of years later because we had the company set up and I was helping a friend out until she could find someone who knew how to do it properly. And through that process of creating the Wastelander Panda web series, I learned to produce and then never looked back.
0: Goodness me. And and so now it sort of feels like it's not just filling in paperwork. You have created production in your own vision if you like where you mm. really get involved it's people first it's making sure that the bits that you can be responsible for to the extent that you are things like that that sort of on set is is as a, as important as the final product you know that, that, that people's experience going through this production is yeah. as as sort of well thought out and um, and well handled Gosh, absolutely.
1: And I'm kind of thrilled that I didn't come to producing in the traditional way because I got to experience that crew side of being on set and, you know, understand what that's like because there's often a divide between the production office and the set. And also because I'd never been taught and had never been in a production office, I just made everything up as I went along. So, I've come to a point where I look back and everything was really values driven and done in the way that made sense to me. And I realized that producing incorporates that creative side. You're a sounding board for the writer as they're developing the show, but then you get to put on your business hat and form a strategy around the project and figure out the best way to get it into the world. So it's very much championing a project, but for me, it's championing the vision of The writer or the director or the person that I'm working really closely with to bring that project to life. So, with First Day, for example, it was Julie and myself just bouncing ideas back and forth for a very long time before the project gained its momentum. And, you know, we've got a really close friendship and working relationship to this day because we're the people who've been there from start to finish.
0: Yeah. So, it really is your baby. And this is something you can then just craft in the way that. Like you say, you 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 apply those values, you 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 shape it in your own in your own vision. I'm I'm wondering, you know, we 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 always talk on this podcast about the challenges that people face and how they have overcome them. So a lot of this sounds really hard, you know, getting finance, getting funding, making sure that you've got you've got the business hat, but you've also got the creative side, balancing that out. What what have been the real challenges for you along the way, Kirsty?
1: Oh, it feels like there's a new challenge with every project, to be honest, sure. Um, I mean, what stems to mind as my most recent production, I guess, is First Day Season 2, which had its fair share of challenges across everything, but um, I had a son in October of 2020 and Two days later, my plans of completing our finance plan for the series, having a break and then coming back to shoot it fell through when the finance plan fell apart and one of our investors turned it down. Um, So my kind of juggle of newborn parenting and putting a finance plan together then led into a shoot where our entire city went into a government-enforced COVID lockdown in the middle of production. And we had to stand down our cast and crew for three days because we couldn't figure out a way to get production back up even though the mantra is always the show must go on. It was literally impossible in this case. We had, you know, plan A, B, C, D, E, F and G going for three days in a row and all of them fell through until day four when we'd managed to get an exemption and figure out how to, you know, make it work with all of the challenges of the having cast members stuck into state and, or in quarantine yeah. or social distancing and everything else going on so that's probably been the most challenging period of my life but also the result that we came to in series two we're incredibly proud of so
0: oh my goodness sometimes and when you, challenges when you shape a life. project Yeah, that this was not a project that just fell into your lap and it was really easy. This has been just one big hard slog, but Mm. my goodness me, you made it work.
1: Yeah, but I think what made it work was the team I was working with and we brought people together that we felt aligned with our values and that was a point where that really mattered. Mm. And to be able to get on the phone with, you know, Kate Butler, my fellow producer, and with Julie, and to talk through challenges and how are we going to approach this and what are our options and even our wider crew and our heads of departments were all a phenomenal part of that process as well but I feel like I look back and I'm proud of the way we handled every single decision we made through that time and I would stand by them all again and to me that was the biggest outcome and the thing that meant the most to me it wasn't that we'd been through the challenges it was like we had a moment of crisis and we were able to step up and live through it and proceed through it in it. a way that we were proud of
0: yeah yeah and, and and i guess as a producer it falls kind of on your shoulders what i'm hearing is as the you know the owner of the production company and your name is above the door it really does fall on your shoulders mm. there's no one you can sort of hand it off to That's yeah you're essentially
1: the the ceo of the film so any risk yeah. Any yeah downside, but any upside also does come down to you at the end of the day. So yeah,
0: and how how hard has it been? Because I think of the film industry as being quite a male dominated industry. I think that's changing because people like you, Reese Witherspoon, people really again blazing that trail. But how how challenging has that been for you? um It has been a challenge, but I've also been in a really
1: supportive state and been surrounded by really supportive people. So. I've kind of let myself follow or looked up to people who never saw gender as an issue. Mm. Um, I did feel guilty leaving camera department because at the time 4% of cinematographers in Australia were women and I felt like I was abandoning, you know, the tribe, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But from a producing perspective, there have been, you know, a few moments along the way where I've felt, a lack of respect. I'm not sure whether it was because of my gender or because of my inexperience at the time, but, you know, working with mentors and producing partners who always treated me as an equal and fought for me as an equal within those conversations meant that I was able to just continue and, you know, have that confidence and never feel Mm -hmm. out of place. So I've been really lucky, I think.
0: That. Well, I, I, I don't think all of it's luck. I think I think there's a you've got this drive and you've got this creative vision, and I think that that's what helps you get from where you are to where you want to be. But I'm also so impressed with the way you're helping people who are following in your footsteps to emulate you to do the same. To you know, you're you're helping people to break into this industry generally through mm. your coaching work, but also through being such a good good role model
1: well thank you that means a lot i'm actually at this point looking to expand on that even further i'm doing some yeah deep diving and problem solving planning at the moment to potentially start a new side business that will open up those opportunities even further for the industry. So I'm really excited about that. That's what my focus is at the moment.
0: Wow. Wow. And What would be, I was going to say, what would be your advice for someone who is hearing this and thinking, gosh, this sounds like such a fun way to make a living? Where, where do you start?
1: Um, I think the thing that it always comes back to is adding value. Like everyone can add value to someone else's life in some way yeah. or in some form, no matter what the difference is in status or hierarchy or experience in the industry or whatever that might be and i think if you can treat people on a human level and think about what's in it for them rather than just what's in it for you that has always led me to good places
0: wow what great advice yeah it's just coming at it from that again from that position of compassion and and empathy, which kind of leads us nicely into, you know, so much of the, the essence of the work you do is about being kinder to people, seeing seeing what it feels like to or feeling what it feels like to walk in their shoes. So I was really interested to, to know what what kindness means to you and and if there's a sort of specific story of kindness that jumps out when I asked you about acts of kindness that have impacted you. Mm.
1: The, One I remember or that is jumping out to me now is such a small thing, but it had such an impact on me at the time. And it was my first ever paid job in the film industry. I was working as a video split operator who basically wheels the little TV around that the director watches and then plugs the cables in to make sure they can see what's happening through the camera image. Um, And we were shooting out in the outback. We are three weeks away from home long days in remote areas and it was my first time on set you do 10 to 12 hour days and it's exhausting and there was a unit manager and the unit managers are the hardest working people on set they're the ones that get there at 5 a.m make sure all of the trucks are in the right places You know, make sure the bins are out, make sure the tables are set up for breakfast. And then they're there till the last thing, when the last people leave and lights are off at the end of the day. And so he was probably 10 times as exhausted as I am. A lovely man called Mick Aitken. And somehow he could just always tell when I was having a day that was slightly tougher than usual. And he would, you know, take a little chocolate bar and leave it on the windshield of the car that I was driving home. And oh. I'm sure he didn't just do that for me. I'm sure he did it for everybody. But the way he went about it felt really personal and intentional. And I've always taken that with me. And, you know, Mick passed away a couple of years later. But I think that essence is something that I've always tried to carry through in my work.
0: Yeah, just helping people feel seen and nurtured yeah that's so Mm. lovely so lovely and it does feel like a lot of your sets are that sort of nurturing space you're here to do a job you're here to capture the actors have got their roles and they've but but at the same time let's make this kind and fun as an environment and and a a great place to be
1: yeah and I hope so I'm (laughs) sure it doesn't always work out like that way and I'm sure there's you know crew members I've worked with who are like oh it's just as exhausting and tiring and difficult as any other set but we try to bring that spirit to it and yeah. hopefully that
0: carries through and certainly if you set out with that intention I mean you might not or you might fall a little bit short of it but it's a it's a great place to start from I always think mm. fantastic and the, the, the I was I was going to ask about so for Goober the the Uber driver mm-hmm. um, did I read that you were in the on the other side of the camera that you were actually acting in it Oh, yes, in a very small role. You don't see my head. I think I have a couple of different
1: roles in that series, actually. I have a voice role when he goes through the drive through, and then a physical role where I think I drop the young boy in the car in episode four or five. So. Yeah, not an acting acting role, but a we need someone to fill this position role.
0: So is there quite a lot of that? It was like put the camera down. Now you have to be on the other side of the camera. Does that? But but there's no part of you that ever wants to get into acting and and do storytelling from that point. Absolutely of not. No, <laughs> I
1: have tried to act by reading pages for cast during auditions, and I do my best. But I'm sure they'd have as much success acting against a brick wall as they would with me. <laughs>
0: Well, it's good to know your own strengths. I always think it's always it's always good to know where your limits are. And then we we usually wrap up with. I mean, first day was so evocative to me, partly because the music was so well set. You know, it just it just really encapsulated the whole thing. Um, it was so beautifully done. Do you get a do you get to play a role in music choices as a producer when 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 films are being produced?
1: I do to some degree. It's always the director who has the control. The creative control or the creative final say in decision making or most of the time anyway but that's what i like to imbue in my sets again like i feel like that's their strength so that's where they should fit into that but it's always a really collaborative process and yeah i like to be involved across every aspect of a production and the producer is that kind of sounding board for the director as they go through as well so
0: i imagine there's always an issue on the production side for just the rights and which song you know there's a sort of we would love to use this song but that's just not going to be possible or that mm-hmm. kind of thing does that does that come up
1: it does and music is really complex as well it's yeah. multiple layers to the rights
0: acquisition do, do you ever get songs commissioned specifically for specific projects
1: yeah so first day we had composers on both seasons um same thing with stateless so <gasps> a lot of that background music is specifically written for those characters and those moments which is amazing and then you take existing songs for certain moments so the school dance for example has licensed music yeah that goes alongside that composed underscore
0: and it's it's so funny because you don't you you kind of I I was paying particular attention to it from a sort of production point of view I guess as I was watching it because I knew I was going to be talking to you but Mm. it really did strike me how how well paced the music was how because I think music has that that sort of it can take you to places of heightened emotions so quickly Mm -hmm. and this really did did land it was part of the beauty of of the whole project for me was just that the wash of emotion that comes through from being Mm. having a great story having it so well conveyed from an acting point of view and then having the music in the background was just it's it's this all-encompassing feeling just gorgeous so for you music do you have a a a favorite song a piece of music that takes you to a certain place not really
1: I've never been a huge music person in that I will listen to it and I'll appreciate it but I don't have favorites or a favorite band or you know collect music in playlists or anything like that but um I was thinking about it and there's a song called first day of my life by bright eyes I don't know if you know it but um I heard it for the first time a few months before my son was born and the music video is phenomenal. It's couples and people in all different types of relationships listening to the song and you see their reactions in real time against the backdrop of the music. So that one really struck me. And for my partner's first Father's Day, um, I cut together a little montage of him and our son to that song. So that's one that really has a special place for me.
0: Oh my goodness. First days of my life by bright eyes. That is something I'm hoping I can find a link to some sort of YouTube video of the... Mm, There's a YouTube link to the music video so I can send it through to you. Yeah, that sounds magical. Oh, thank you for that. And and how have you found it? You know, because that's another challenge, isn't it? When you suddenly you've gone from being someone who has a huge work ethic, you are so used to getting things done and working extremely hard and then having to accommodate a new little life and uh, the shifts that, that happen can often be quite challenging. Has that been a an easy transition for you?
1: Um, it hasn't been in some ways, but it's also so valuable. And I'm so glad that I made the decision to become a mother wow. and that we made the decision to become parents. I mean, I can't imagine not having my son and he's almost two now and he's just cheeky and smart and funny, he makes jokes already. And yeah, the love that he gives is amazing. So it's beautiful to have that as a contrast to the work I do.
0: Absolutely. And I think he's someone who is going to, you know, watch these projects in future and just go, wow, my mum did that. Mm. You know, that's just amazing. So we're here talking about collective wisdom. And I, I feel you are so wise in that you really know yourself so well and I think that's what comes through in the work you do the projects you choose you know they're all baked in with those values what what's the 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 piece of wisdom that you would add to my collection that has kind of stuck with you throughout that um I think it's that add value those two Mm, words that we spoke mm, about before add value it's just so gorgeous yeah if you can ask how can I add value as opposed to what's in it for me how much mm. further will that take you? Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Well, listen, it's been an absolute joy to speak to you about this stuff. Kirstie, I could talk to you for hours about the minutiae of the actual each project. And, and the, I'm sure you have so many funny stories about individual actors and things that happened on set. And it's a world that fascinates me. And I think it's a world that not many of us get to lift a lid on and see behind the scenes very often. So it's a Mm -hmm. real privilege to have been able to chat to you about it. But as I was saying at the beginning, first and foremost, what I really want to do is say a big thank you because the stories that you're telling, the stories that you're bringing out into the world are really life changing. And I'm sure for the people who see themselves in those stories it's having a huge positive impact. So thank you. Oh, thank you. It's been a pleasure talking to you. And the final question, I guess, is, is what's next? Is there a project that you can tell us about that's coming up? Uh,
1: I can't tell you any specifics yet, but um, we have just submitted a pitch for a new series to several broadcasters. So we'll see what the response is like, and hopefully there'll be something coming up soon.
0: How exciting. Well, I wish you the very best with it, and I can't wait to see what comes out of the next uh, 18 months, two years. Best of luck with it. Thanks, Kirsty. Thank
1: you.
0: Oh, that was just so good. Thanks so much to Kirsty. And that question, where can I add value? That seems like a really powerful question to ask yourself this week. And the song, The First Day of My Life, well, having checked it out, It's well worth watching the video that accompanies it. Really heartwarming stuff. Thanks so much for being here and for being you. And if there's someone you think would enjoy hearing this episode or needs to know that you appreciate them for being just exactly who they are, then please do share it. And finally, as I said at the beginning, if you're in the UK and you want to get to see First Day for Yourself on iPlayer, then drop a note to the BBC and ask them when they plan to air it. In the meantime, have a good week and I'll be back next week with my friend, author and all-round creative being, Rumi Sushihashi. I do hope you can join us